Welcome to the Oddcast, brought to you by the Odyssey NFT Experience, seeking to deliver value to creators, collectors, DeFi natives, and DGENs. Every episode, we will speak with personalities across the space about all things NFT in an effort to celebrate, explore, and educate about the many facets of this incredible creator economy. I'm your host, Flame, and I'm here with a promise to keep it interesting, uplifting, and always odd. Let's get into it. We are here to first and foremost celebrate the artists and innovators from all corners of the space within the Odyssey community and beyond. There will be news, there may be alpha, but there will be nothing that should ever be mistaken for financial advice. Always, always, always DYOR, friends. And with that, let's get to our next incredible guest of the Oddcast, Bored Elon Musk. Bored Elon Musk is a pseudonymous Twitter personality that began with a long history of tweeting out witty, comedic invention ideas as if they came from the mind of Musk himself, musing while otherwise, well, bored. With over 1.7 million followers and extensive experience in crypto and gaming, this Anon persona and brand has evolved immensely, currently offering two highly entertaining and utility-rich projects, Metamars and most recently, Boardbox an NFT that provides curated items for use in well-vetted and very engaging blockchain games. First of all, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, visit with me today and do an episode of the Oddcast. Absolutely. I love I love all things odd. <laughs> well, you're in the right place. Uh, if you couldn't tell by my avatar anyway, which was really kind of the uh, Anata community to provide me with so that I could use it for content creation. And I think it falls sort of in the same line as your pseudonymous need and desire to protect your privacy. That's sort of the main motivation for me right now. So I think it's cool that, you know, we have these options. And I think the one that they gave me yeah. is pretty cool. And I was allowed to choose it from a handful. And I think I chose well. Yeah, uh, I've got one as well. Love the Love the style. Um, I opted to go with this, with the snap filter recently, just because it's consistent with my, with my Twitter bio. So it's easy for people to, you know, keep track of, of what I look like at the moment, but, uh, love the, uh, not a project as well. Yeah, me too. I, I really like, uh, your avatar also. It, it gives me, uh, old school, uh, Max Headroom and Lawnmower Man vibes and totally. it's still <laughs> very much its own thing what i was going for <laughs> well lawnmower man meets uh wizard of oz it's uh you know it's not easy to replicate jeff fahey's performance in that movie but <laughs> i think you're doing a great job <laughs> not because of talent just uh it's different exactly well i know that you know with 1.7 million followers many people are familiar with your origin story but for anyone listening who isn't would you mind providing a little background on life before Bored Elon Musk and how this identity came to be? Mm, I like that. I like that framing. I, I, I've shared my sort of Bored Elon origin story many times, but before before Bored. Um, so I will say that uh, Bored Elon was uh, not the first uh, parody account I tried creating. I, I think it was around the 10th that uh, that finally stuck. The others were just kind of like attempts at, uh, you know, creative writing and um having a bit of a of a of a, of a sort of a safe space to, to 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 crack jokes and just you know have like a an interesting like creative um constraint to work with so the idea of a parody account was always appealing to me because i always loved um writing and, and comedy writing in particular um and so you know before the the board elon thing i always found myself to be somebody who was willing to experiment in public, try things um, that were kind of, you know, different and, and maybe likely to fail um, and not worrying too much about looking stupid or, or failing in public. So I had a little bit of an edge, I guess, when it when it comes to, you know, content creation and putting myself out there. But um, the board Elon layer just added a, a little bit of an extra incentive, I guess, for me to continue experimenting and trying things out and not worrying about what, you know, friends or employers or family would think about it. Um, I will say that, you know, a, a very close group of friends and family do know that I have this account and uh, they certainly <laughs> have interesting, you know, perspectives about it and reactions to it. But um, yeah, I, I've always loved sort of this idea of dabbling in, in many different things. 
Um, and most of those those sort of experiments revolved around the internet. Um, but yeah, in the in the real world, sort of prior to that, without you know going into too, too many nitty gritty details, um, spent spent most of my uh, professional life in the in the video games industry. Um, have always loved gaming. I've I've created games myself, uh, mostly tabletop physical games, um, which is a real challenge because you can't patch and update a physical game, right? You print ten thousand copies of it. And uh, if there's a mistake in it, that's it. <laughs> Your patch is like releasing the next version that people have to buy on shelves. So um, yeah, I, I've I've always had sort of this bent towards towards gaming. I've I've found it to be a really cool creative expression and an art form. Um, and you know, despite it having a bit of criticism, you know, parents and and other people kind of worrying about the impact of video games, um, I'm increasingly starting to feel like it's one of the best forms of entertainment and connectivity that we have available today, uh, especially compared to things like social media um, that, you know, are showing to have really negative impacts, uh, especially for younger people who don't know how to parse all this information or sort of deal with the, you know, the social uh, impacts of, of like, you know, um, comparing themselves to other people. I think that video games provide them, provide, provide kids with uh, a place to, you know, experiment, to connect, in a safe way to have fun and just have goals and, you know, try to accomplish things uh, versus just like the, the game itself being getting likes and followers and showing off to your friends. So very, very bullish on the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the arena of gaming overall. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. Uh, other than that, pretty average above average, I guess, uh, you know, upbringing lucky to be born in the United States uh, good parents, good home, good schools, all that. It's pretty boring. So that, that sort of plays into the reason I stay anonymous just because, um, the, the real world person is less interesting than the, uh, the board brand. <laughs> well, I can identify with that. And I do think that the brand is very interesting. Um, I can't, you know, comment on the IRL identity, but I, I have a feeling you're probably selling yourself a little short. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, the creativity of your tweets, you've, Put out as board Elon all these tweets about all these inventions, which you know has amassed an incredible amount of notoriety. And I know after eight years of tweeting out these humorous, relatable creations, you must have gotten to the point where you felt like, okay, this is becoming difficult to sustain, whether I love it or not. What maybe should I start thinking about exploring next? How did you get to that point? It definitely got and has remain difficult to keep the uh, the level of content up you know like doing something for eight years is tough like i always think about um the simpsons and they've been on forever like that is one of the oldest shows on television in terms of just you know continuity um part of that is that you know the actors don't age which is nice uh, the other part of it is that uh, they um they hire new writers every few years to keep it fresh right because if you if you have the same people doing the doing the show for all this time, it's just, it's going to get stale. So, you know, I, I struggle with that and I struggle with the idea of like hiring people to write my tweets. I just, I'm still not on board with it. I don't like it. Um, and I, and, and when I've tried, honestly, um, I haven't been pleased with the results because I, I just, am not getting kind of the quality that I want. Um, that is at the level of the quality that I produced, I think, in my prime, which is probably like year three to five of Board Elon. So I think I think that sort of once I, I realized like, hey, you know, just coming up with funny inventions and, and tweets um, isn't going to be the, the one trick pony that I want it to be. Um, that's where I really started expanding into other interest areas, gaming being one of them, that um, gave me the opportunity to to do more with this account and the following that I built up. And I think that more of the real world person now shines through um, than ever did before. I mean, until I'd say like the sixth or seventh year of Board Elon, I didn't do, you know, podcasts. I didn't share my voice. I didn't share any sort of details about myself. So at this point, it's kind of evolved from like what started off as a parody account and more as like um, this unique character that is, um, you know, a combination of the real world me and this character that I, that I built up. And I hope over time that just continues. And, um, I don't mean for this to sound like, I don't know, highfalutin or arrogant, but like I, I always liked David Bowie because the his approach was to sort of change his character every few years. Like every album, he was sort of a different character and he continued to evolve what what David Bowie was. And so I, I always liked that idea of like 
can can board Elon change every two or three years to be about something different? So that's that's kind of my model. And um, and so far, you know, what I found is that I find I, I have found this this um, approach like personally satisfying and fun and given me a lot more opportunities to connect with people that I'm interested in talking to. Um, whereas sort of the one dimensional board Elon character, although that won me over a lot of followers and, you know, maybe some people miss that that old style of account. Um, it just, it just grew tiring for me and it wasn't something I wanted to continue. So, um, I'm evolving this, this thing to be whatever I want it to be. And that means probably less engagement and less new followers, but that's okay. I'm happy with where it is right now. Currently the projects that you have out MetaMars and BoardBox, are really cool. And I definitely want to talk to you about those, but before we get into the gaming projects you've created, I'd love to get some personal history on how you got started with gaming yourself. Like what were your first loves or obsessions or fondest early memories of playing video games? Yeah, I think that at a very young age, um, I was not only intrigued by playing games, but also like modifying and creating them. So, um, you know, not, not necessarily video games uh, that came later, but, you know, just started off with, with physical games. I remember um, you know, being the kid who who would definitely like suggest uh, modifications to game rules, whether it was Monopoly or something deeper, um, you know, because I kind of found flaws in, in various game designs. Um, don't get me started on why Monopoly is the worst game ever created. Um, but, um, <laughs> you know, like I remember like um, inventing games with my friends. Like one, one that I always remember is uh, we would set up army men. That would be two people. We'd set up army men um, kind of in front of, our, of us and then get stacks of marbles and then build little um, like catapults with Legos and rubber bands. And then the whole the whole point of the game was to take turns firing marbles at the at the army men on the other side and last man standing wins. Right. So just like kind of creating games was always so, so interesting to me. Um, you know, as I got older, um, definitely migrated to to video games and um, loves playing, you know, games that people created and then also really loves games where you got to be uh, more in control of the game experience, whether it was SimCity or Roller Coaster Tycoon um, or modifying things in like Counter-Strike. Um, you know, I never I never unfortunately went down the road of learning how to like program games from from scratch. Um, I was always a bit of a, of a modder myself, but um, it definitely just kind of instilled in me this 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 love for like wanting to play a role in, in how a game comes to be or how it evolves over time. So I'd say I have a pretty long running, you know, relationship with games. And um, it wasn't really till later in my career that I sort of got into into the gaming industry. I, I bounced around and did a lot of different things and, um, you know, finally ended up working for a company that supported one of the largest uh, Japanese game publishers out there. And that was uh, a really nice sort of way to end my my normal person career. That was kind of the last job that I had before I fully transitioned to, to board Elon being sort of the, the primary source of my income. Um, but yeah, uh, a very a very sort of a timeless relationship <laughs> with with the art of gaming um, that that started off with uh, with me as a young lad sitting on the floor launching marbles at other people's army men. Nice. Yeah, I, I sometimes forget, you know, that when it comes to gaming experience, because we're so immersed in video games now that there is a whole world out there of actual physical games that people play. So I appreciate, you know, you reminding me of that. There are so many physical games that people created that were an amazing part of life for people growing up and still probably are. And a lot of really cool physical games that people are still creating. And hopefully, you know, the two inspire one another. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it's a growing industry. And and the thing that I love to see, even before sort of like people started, you know, using NFTs and, and crypto to sort of raise money to build games, but Kickstarter was such a an incredible thing for people who wanted to design games and not have to go through the traditional means of, you know, finding a publisher or an investor. It's like you, you have a game idea, you find a thousand people who want to play that game and they fund it and you make it real. Like it's it's been a booming industry because of Kickstarter, in my opinion, and, and platforms like that. And so I love I love this idea of removing middlemen and gatekeepers so that people who have good ideas and 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 you know the the will to make things um, have an easier path to do so. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Are there any games out there right now, I guess physical or on the video platform that you find 
particularly intriguing at the moment? Mm. I would say <laughs> the 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 game that's probably taking the most of my attention continues to be uh Rocket League. I I've 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 been exploring Fall Guys quite a bit. Um for those not familiar with either, you know, Rocket League is basically soccer with cars that have uh, boosters, very simple idea. Fall Guys is kind of like a a group obstacle course. Both are owned by Epic Games, um, but uh, those are those are grabbing a lot of my attention. And then with physical games, you know, I'm always looking out for um, for new games to play with friends. I mean, there's something that is special about just kind of sitting down with somebody and, and having like that tangible interaction. Um, you know, in terms of old school games, I still will love on a monthly or quarterly basis to play Dungeons and Dragons and just kind of co-create a world with with friends um and you can do that obviously like you know via zoom or in person um one of the newer games tabletop games that i really love is called bullet um and that that revolves a lot of like strategy and sort of like tile placement and um very very sort of nerdy stuff i tend to like games that are basically not competitive like directly competitive where you you harm the other player um, but rather, like everybody's playing to get the highest score. That that seems to be um, a growing genre of tabletop games, and that's that's what I uh, appreciate as well. Um, so yeah, I, I I think that you know anyone who who loves the idea of, of video games, I think can really gain a lot from also spending time in the physical analog world of gaming. Um, not only to help inspire ideas, but also just to you know disconnect from the the pings and notifications and the intensity of uh, electronic based gaming. Oh yeah, I couldn't agree more and I also think that people forget too as enriched as we become in these online communities there's still a lot to be said for, you know, IRL face-to-face interactions with people as well. And in terms of your projects, you know, currently there's Metamars and Boardbox and forgive me if I'm not name checking anything else that you're currently working on that's in the public space, but uh, how did you get started with crypto and NFTs and what from that experience motivated you to establish MetaMars and Boardbox? Yeah, you got the two big ones. Uh, Boardbox being the 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 major uh, effort on my part, and MetaMars being sort of a side project that I'm um, guiding or, or you know acting as like an advisor on. Um, so with crypto, I um, I started off kind of during the Mount Gox days for anyone who remembers that, which was one of the earlier platforms to buy and sell Bitcoin. And uh, it was all very experimental. And I think at that point, um, you know, myself, like like many others, were just kind of like testing out this this crazy thing. And then fast forward a decade later, wishing that uh, we had kept all those Bitcoins, <laughs> which weren't worth as much back then. But um, at that point, you know, I was I was definitely an early adopter and, and really just saw it as a, as a means of storing value and um, transacting and sending people money. I think the biggest challenge was not enough people were willing to accept it. Because uh, they thought it was a joke, and so I think the real sort of utility and value from from crypto and blockchain in general didn't emerge until about three years ago or four years ago. And for me, um, with the rise of NFTs, especially, uh, it kind of clicked for me. You know, having this experience in gaming um, and understanding sort of the uh, the issues that players have experienced with gaming in terms of like you know their 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 skin in the game and their ownership of the, of the games that they play um it really clicked for me that you know nfts were going to be um the next wave uh, of of what video games look like in in a similar way to what happened with free to play games you know where we shifted from this idea of hey i'm going to buy a cartridge or a cd you know for $60 and play that game to I'm going to play this game for free. And along the way, if I really like it, I'm going to buy stuff in it that makes me feel good and show off to my friends. So that's that's kind of like, you know, my, my crypto journey. I still love all the other elements of it, whether it's, you know, DeFi, like lending and borrowing. It's fantastic. All the utility of, of being able to tokenize physical and, and digital goods, um, community building, gating, all these cool things that I think are emerging now um, are really exciting to me. But I think that my focus is on gaming because, you know, a it's a it's an area that I know and love, and B I just think it has the most potential um, in terms of like onboarding the most people on Earth to to blockchain. In terms of gaming being uh, an amazing pipeline, and in terms of bringing in adopters, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And as far as MetaMars and Boardbox, can you just give us a quick rundown on what each project is essentially? Yeah. Um, so very quickly, uh, MetaMars is um, 
a collection of no loss arcade games and i'll kind of break that down um you know the idea of like casual or or what's often referred to as like mid-core games uh means it's not call of duty uh or horizon zero dawn or elden ring <laughs> it's something that's a little bit lighter that maybe you know can be played um you know while you're taking a 20 minute break but um we decided to a team and i decided to build sort of these mars themed games with the first one being a, a rover racing game where you're trying to get the fastest time while traversing the 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 landscape of mars um you know familiar familiar sort of genres but the no loss part is, and what makes it unique um and how we're utilizing uh blockchain is that um we're essentially rewarding people for for performance so um for anyone not familiar with this idea of a no loss lottery the whole concept is a bunch of people pool money they uh that money accumulates interest and then that that interest only is put into a prize pool and distributed to a few lucky winners via raffle and this is something that's actually pretty popular in europe um that not many people in the united states know about but um we took that concept of this like no loss you know prize pool and then applied it to gaming so instead of it being just like a generic raffle where a random person or people uh get a prize um MetaMars is all about having people play games, rack up points and or, or raffle tickets, if you will, um, and sort of their performance leading to their ability to you know be eligible for prizes. So if you're really good at a game, you're a lot more likely to win a prize pool. And again, it's no loss. So people deposit money to play. They get that money back whenever they want to remove it. Um, but the interest that is gained is uh, is uh, used for for prizing. So we think it's a fun incentive just to kind of get people to play our game versus you know the hundreds of thousands of other games that are out there. Um, and adding the Martian theme to it certainly you know gives me a little bit of uh, fun uh, you know space to play with uh, in terms of like leaning into the whole Bordelon brand. So that's that's MetaMars. We have a first uh, playable game which right now is in um, uh, beta and accessible only to um, folks who own a specific NFT called a Mars coin, but we are going to release it to the public in the next 30 days, I'd say. So hoping everybody jumps in and tries to break the game and gives us feedback and we'll continue it to, uh, to evolve it. Um, and it was important for me to build a, you know, a blockchain based game because with BoardBox, which um, I'll talk about in a second, um, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that people understood, like, I'm not just somebody who is trying to highlight you know blockchain games or curate them like i'm a builder as well i'm playing a, a big role in sort of guiding the metamars project and um want to make sure that um i'm not just you know sort of uh investing or you know leveraging the blockchain gaming space from a business perspective but i'm contributing to it as well um and on the board box side this is really my biggest endeavor um my co-founder and I actually raised money for it, um, and it's it's really taking up the, the bulk of my time. And the focus of BoardBox is to essentially um, highlight the the best existing or upcoming blockchain games um, through packing digital boxes or NFT boxes um, with game assets for, for 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 titles that we're recommending. So we launched that business recently and and uh, launched our first box back in May. And the whole idea is it is a blind box. Um, you know, we surprise people with the uh, the games that are inside. And again, they are ones that, you know, we've spent a lot of time researching and vetting to make sure that we're making recommendations um, around games that are, you know, of quality and are coming from teams that have experience in building games. And a lot of the, the, the driver for sort of creating that business was um, to solve my own problem, which is like, I don't have a lot of time to play games anymore. And I wanted somebody to, to, you know, basically make recommendations to me, like what games I should check out. And so um, I decided to focus on blockchain games because it's it's a new vertical. It's harder to navigate, especially if you're, um, you know, a gamer who's not as familiar with with crypto. And so, you know, we've taken that responsibility on. And besides these NFT boxes that are packaged with, you know, with game assets, um, we really make it about, you know, content and, and recommendations. So um, we're focused on uh, you know, sharing game trailers and talking to the developer teams and really just focusing all of it on gameplay and lore and characters and not talking about the financial elements of of the blockchain gaming space. There's plenty of people who are doing that and making, you know, investment, uh, giving out investment advice about like investing in certain games. We just care about talking about games the way that they've been talked about for the last, you know, few decades. Like, why are they fun to play? <laughs> so um, that that is something that we're growing right now. The market of, of blockchain games is small, but we're really building this business for 2023 and 2024. And the goal is, is that, you know, if we continue to grow our 
visibility and our ability to bring good games and you know amazing blockchain titles to to players that eventually when bigger studios like activision and epic come along and want to participate in the space they'll come to us and they'll they'll ask to partner with us to you know to help them launch their own games now this project boardbox was conceived during a fairly voracious bull market how do you feel about running a project and building during a bear market how has it affected boardbox and what do you see as far as the upside and do you have any advice for other people who are you know working their way through these conditions yeah i mean we certainly um concepted and raised money um for this for this company when eth was around 4000 so our projections uh for for the first year in business have certainly changed a bit um but in a way i'm kind of thankful because it's good to have that level setting early on in a business uh life cycle just to be reminded of like hey it's not just like number go up only um you have to keep building when when the number goes down um and so what i'm comforted by is that um a lot of crypto products um when when things are going not so good there's not much to talk about right um a lot of a lot of sort of crypto is basically just tracking like you know our prices going up or down and that's that's what the community basically is about and uh and then it's just like a stock trading sort of you know scenario and so um in periods like we are in right now in july of 2022 um there's less activity there's less excitement there's less froth and frankly there's probably a lot fewer builders because they're just scared but with us playing in the gaming space like we we never really set out to talk about the economics of, of blockchain gaming in the first place. We just wanted to talk about the games. And so it doesn't really matter if things are up or down right now because we've got games to talk about. We've got games to keep us busy and to be able to connect with the community. And so in a way, like video games are very recession proof. You know, in another way, they're very not recession proof because it's like absolutely a luxury to spend money and time on games, right? So it is like discretionary value, um, again, time and money that people don't feel they have right now because they're scrambling to, you know, pay the bills or make back all the losses they've they've felt. So there's good there's good and bad parts of this of this industry, but um, we keep reminding ourselves on the Boardbox team that um, you know we 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 have money to operate for the long run. Right now, we're going to focus on building. And we're banking on the fact that our industry will thrive and will grow. And personally, as somebody who has weathered, you know, many of these like crypto crashes um, over the last 10 years, um, I'm not super phased by any of this. Um, I've seen it happen and I, I know it will come back. And uh, if for whatever reason it doesn't, there's a new variable that emerges, then all of us probably are going to be, you know, changing our careers. So it's it's very much like a banking on sort of like an all or nothing scenario kind of like people did on the internet like if you really believe the internet was going to be a thing in 1999 um you're still in it today right like you you built you built those businesses back then that weathered the storm and are still around um versus like the the quick cash grab and and just feeling like it was a fluke but yeah i mean myself and and my team we feel like blockchain is is here for the long term we feel like blockchain gaming is here for the long term so we're just going to continue building and not worry too much about the market conditions because that's not a variable we can control. All we can control is our own product and our own community. Um, and we'll just try to maximize that within the parameters that the market is giving us. Well said. We've seen a lot of topsy-turvy behavior throughout the emergence of this entire market. And like you said, you've been around for an extensive amount of that. You've seen I mean, it's one of the most insane hacks that caused a pretty gnarly uh, series of market fluctuations. That Mt. Gox hack, that was crazy. People survived that. People continued to build. Nobody gave up. The crypto winter of 2018, people continued to build. And we're, we're here where we are now. And it seems like with every downturn, there's, there comes some new level of uh, innovation on uh, on the backside of that, you know, that seems to emerge from the the, rub, the rubble of of whatever you know caused things to flatten out for a bit. And as far as gaming, obviously that's never going to go away. 
And it seems like blockchain is here to stay. So I agree with you. I, I have full faith in blockchain gaming. Uh, I have full faith in, in you know, blockchain innovation continuing just because it's cracked open all these new uh, paradigms, created all these new primitives. And you also have this new level of connection in terms of community with discords and Twitter and NFTs and blockchain gaming seem to be very rooted in that. So I think regardless of market conditions as well, hopefully, you know, the relationships that are being established and these communities that are being built, uh, people need still need togetherness and they still need activity regardless of how they're doing financially, you know? So as long as you can get on the internet and connect with your friends and still play these games, I, I don't see it disappearing. And I, I mean, I hope we're both right because I love it just as much as you do. I, I love all this new inventive uh, craziness that's happening. And speaking of new inventive craziness, there are some really cool partners that you've teamed up with for the first round of offerings via BoardBox. Would you like to uh, dive into those and maybe touch upon who they are and what you think are maybe some of the coolest aspects about those partnerships? Yeah, thank you. Um, definitely, you know, big kudos to those partners. I think for the first box, especially, um, they were taking a gamble on us. We weren't like a proven quantity that had shown we can bring them value. And so for their, for them to, you know, take a, take a chance on, on, on our team was, was really important and meaningful. And we always appreciate that. And, you know, they get to, now claim that they were in the Genesis box and board box and assuming we become a bigger deal, um, that'll be a cool feather in their cap. But um, yeah, for anyone who wants to um, get a bit more information on them, um, they can they can see our partners at boardbox.io. Um, but to do a quick a quick run through, we worked with um, Adam Car Club, which is kind of like this um, this digital car club. It's like taking the idea of like people who are really passionate about like cars and modification and racing and making it all uh, an NFT, you know, based car collectors club. Um, and they'll be releasing um, games and, and supporting other people who are releasing games. Um, the uh, another another partner was uh, Crypto Walkers, which is uh, they're building sort of a, you know, a, a Fortnite style game where you can interact with other players um, do battle royale modes. So sort of a first person shooter style. Foxy Tactics is a strategy tactics game. Uh, it's a genre I really love, uh, and and if anyone loves sort of like turn-based like strategy con uh, con combat, that's definitely a game to check out. That's playable today. Uh, Evaverse, which is building their own sort of metaverse, uh, and uh, uh, right now has a a hoverboard racing game that's available for play. That's very reminiscent of games like SSX or. Um, uh, uh, you know, any other sort of like snowboarding style game that you might have played. And then finally, Galaxy Fight Club, which is one of the biggest uh, mobile blockchain games, uh, which is kind of like a strategy, like top down shooter. And the cool things with all the the cool thing with all of these partnerships is that, um, you know, for BoardBox, we didn't just like get a thousand items to put in the boxes um, to give away that were sort of part of existing collections. We we really kind of co-created and, and, and co-designed custom uh game items that were only going to appear in a board box and that was the only way to get them so in the case of you know adam car club they created a mars speeder very on brand for me a car that basically can can drive across the martian surface but also fly <laughs> um crypto walkers created a jetpack so you know in their game not only can you move left and right forward and back you can you can go up and down as well um also customized for board box Voxy folks did a helmet that's very like neon green in style. Again, very on brand for me. Um, a custom hoverboard for the Eververse teams, and then a board blaster for for Galaxy Fight Club. So, all five game items, we were really like pleased to see that the, the game studios were willing to do something that was special and unique to us. And in some cases, like the board branding is even on them, which we weren't expecting, but uh, we're pretty pretty pleased to see uh, studios that were open to that. So it feels really cool to have you know sort of the the board like signature um appear in games uh, across the the gaming space and and hope for that to continue yeah i've had a chance to uh dig in to some of the products myself i'm a board box owner and i really had a lot of fun playing the eververse hoverboard game it definitely gave me some 
some fun reminiscent vibes of the games that you mentioned and also feels very much like its own thing. You know, it's exciting to see these these developments in blockchain. And hopefully what people are aware when they are, you know, interacting with this stuff too, is that this is a, a new emerging technology still. And not everything's going to be perfect, but we're at the beginning, you know, of something new. And I personally loved that when we were younger, when I was younger, um, you know, and there were these platforms that would come out and then you would see that platform evolve and you would see the games evolve along with it. I think the same is going to hold true for blockchain gaming. And I think the games that, you know, the partnerships that you built and developed for this particular, for the first round of board box offerings uh, is a really, is a really strong start. And all the communities that I've ducked into um, to ask them, you know, how do I get started, which is something I've been doing recently because I've been really busy, but I want to play these games. Uh, they've all been incredibly helpful. Everybody's super friendly. You know, the, the communities are vibrant. I think you really, really did choose well. And, you know, for people who haven't had a chance to see that introductory video where you do talk to all the partners and go through all of the games and everything that's being offered, I think that's a really helpful way to get started. I think it was a really awesome launch that you guys did. Very, very much like an onboarding experience, not just here's this NFT, figure it out, which, you know, any quality project isn't going to do that. But I feel like you guys really went the extra mile in making sure that people knew what was available and you got a chance to connect with the actual creators of these projects too, which doesn't, isn't always the case, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you being a customer by the way. <laughs> oh yeah. No worries. Um, I feel very fortunate to have been able to, you know, be in on the ground floor. And I also think it's cool, you know, like that people still can get in if they want to, you know, you made it clear on the open sea page that, you know, whether in the, in the, um, forgive me, the aspects of the NFT, you can tell whether it's been opened or unopened. And for people who don't know, there there's utility for the open boxes, but it's great that it's just that straightforward, you know, like, oh, I didn't get a chance to get the board box when it was available for Mint. But there are still some unopened ones on OpenSea. And, you know, the way the ETH's performing right now, it probably is a bit of a bargain for people. So there's still an opportunity for people to uh, jump in if they want to from the start. And I think that's really cool as well. Yeah, and and to be to be clear, I mean, we we issued a thousand, uh, or we have a you know a thousand board boxes in the Genesis edition, and not all of them have minted out, and that's completely understandable given given the uh, the one ETH price point, and um, we're just letting them sell when they sell, and we get a couple sales every single day, and that that works. I mean, in a way, it's a luxury product, and we don't need to you know at least in our opinion discount things or burn merchandise or do anything like that. Um, it's important for us to get as many of the thousand, you know, board boxes into many unique holders' hands as possible. Um, you know, we made a lot of decisions, for example, like only allowing one wallet to mint one box because we wanted unique distribution of these of these games. Um, and then, of course, you know, just being willing to sell out over a long period of time versus instantly and not worrying about, you know, the perceptions of that. Because ultimately, like our promise to the game studios was we're going to find you people who love games, who are going to hold these items. Um, and we wanted to get you as many quality players as possible. And so doing some of the tactics that other NFT projects do to just like appease their degen traders is not the right move for us. Um, we need to do what's right for the game studios and the players. And um, we very like vocally tell people like, this is not an investment. You should not buy a board box if you're looking to flip it. Um, you should buy one if you're looking to buy really cool game assets that you want to play and, you know, hold over time. Um, but we've done that just because like we very methodically wanted to make sure that we got our first batch of community members, um, that was like the right type of, you know, customer that was a player, not a, not a trader because traders don't use the game items and then they don't, uh, make the, the game developers happy because ultimately like, it's nice to have a blockchain game where you see like high floor prices and trading and activity and all that, but that's only good for three months. If you want your game to exist for five years, 10 years, and to build a player base, you need people to actually play the games. And so that's, that's who we're trying to find. Yeah. I think the way that you all went about it was very prudent. I think it was very uh, respectful to the need to 
create a product that wasn't all about, you know, FOMO accumulation and dump back on the market. I was one of the things that attracted me from the beginning, you know, because I want to play the games. I want to experience the product for what it is. And I also wanted to be involved with something that it felt like I was at the beginning of something, you know, uh, it's not, it's not often that those types of opportunities come along. And so for me, it was worth the investment from that standpoint. And I also really like that these in-game assets that you get when you purchase the board box, let's say you're not for whatever reason, able to play the game, or you're not into the game. You can sell those assets or trade them away if you don't use the game. And that's a very novel uh, mechanic within the product itself because, and I've heard you speak about this before, you know, in many games you can buy items and skins. I mean, it's a huge, huge industry, and but you don't necessarily own them outright. And I think that's a really cool thing that you're able to do with Boardbox. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the fundamental change that blockchain gaming is is bringing is like true ownership. You're not just, you know, renting or using something that you bought in a game as long as the game developer allows you to it's like it's truly yours to do what you will and that is how most uh products in the real world you know work right like i bought this uh trading card or this watch or this piano and if i don't want to have it anymore i can sell it because it's mine and digital assets haven't quite caught up with that because um people just aren't used to that sort of you know marketplace dynamic but that is where things are going and in, in, in gaming, that's going to be a boon for players because, you know, anyone who's like me um, has spent like literally thousands of dollars on in-game items that we don't actually own. And so it's, it's something that needs to happen <laughs> over time. And blockchain is a solution to it. It's not the only solution to it. Um, but it's one that, you know, I feel is probably the most decentralized and secure. And so, uh, you know, banking on that, on that being the future. Yeah, I, I I have a feeling that it's going to be more and more attractive to people over time, especially, you know, just based on the way the current market operates outside of blockchain and even within blockchain in some cases. But how important is it to you to be able to do this pseudonymously? That is such a mouthful of a word. Um, but how is it important for you to be able to do that? And do you see that? Uh, as a growing trend? And if so, like, what are the important things to remember if you want to successfully be able to lead a company, you know, in an anonymous way? I think that it's not necessarily critical, but I think, you know, I I kind of like fell into this uh, champion of pseudonymity <laughs> role because I did it for so long and um, I see the value of it. Um, for a while, you know, it was to just kind of protect, you know, the separation of my real world um, career and uh, and the board Elon antics online. And now that's not really an issue. And it's more of just like a brand thing where like, it's just more fun to not know, you know, who the IRL person is behind this ID, much like, like people don't care about who, you know, the real Banksy is, for example. So, um, you know, I think that it's absolutely possible to run a company and conduct business as a pseudonym. Um, you know, in many cases, you do need to reveal your your legal name to people and you know, non-disclosure agreements can handle that, uh, generally speaking. It's never perfect. But um, I think the most important part is just being able to build trust and have credibility. And generally, that just takes time, right? So like, when I see projects started by anonymous founders, um, you know, I if I'm going to invest in them, um, I really want to understand the credibility of that founder, make sure that they are someone who has legitimacy, who has experience, and has a bit of a time horizon building. Um, and that, that isn't often the case, right? You see people spin up projects six months after creating a pseudonym or an, an anonymous account, and then they're asking for millions of dollars. Like personally, I don't, I don't buy into that. That's just, I'm not, I'm not going to accept that, you know, their quest for privacy uh, is the reason that they deserve to be running a company um, as a pseudonym. I think you have to put the time in. And, uh, you know, in my case, uh, humbly, eight years is enough time to prove that out. But if you can't, have the benefit of time, um, then I think that your next step is you need a lot of people who have been um, either doxxed or you know who have a very strong reputation to vouch for you and basically say, I endorse this person, I vouch for them. Um, and if they screw up, then that's on me. And uh, you know, luckily I have, I have both. Uh, if I need to 
you know, DM a hundred people and get their support to just, you know, vouch for me, uh, I can do that. And that took time. And that took a lot of sort of relationship building behind the scenes, not publicly that people don't see. So I definitely think it's possible. Um, I think that uh, it's become sort of more trendy than it is actually necessary to do it. Um, but I also understand that um, in the in the world we live in, in blockchain, um, there is a level of of worry around safety and you know people accumulating large sums of money that isn't backed by a government that doesn't have insurance against it, and they want to protect their their family or their friends or anyone in their circle. So I I definitely get it. I understand the value of of maintaining that that distance, but it comes with the cost of needing to do a lot of work to verify you know your your credibility and your your trust level. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, in terms of like running a company this way, I've, I've written pretty extensively about kind of founding a company as a pseudonym and a quick Google search will will find that if anyone wants to go that route. I do think that, you know, aside from from um, starting companies or, or conducting any business, it is a good practice for yourself um, to create a pseudonym because there might be just interest areas or subgroups that you're interested in that you don't have to bring your full identity to. like. They only need to know certain elements about you that are relevant to that particular genre or interest that you have. And it's okay to kind of partition yourself and have multiple identities depending on the space that you're in. I think we all do that anyway in the real world. You know, when we hang out with our friends who are really into sports or we hang out with our friends who are really into chess or cards or music, like we we sort of like bring different elements of ourselves to those dynamics. Um, it's all attached to our real world face and our ID. Um, but the equivalent of that in the digital space is you just have different pseudonyms or different identities and you just use them whenever you need to, depending on the activity you're participating in. It's very fascinating to me that you're able to do this, but it does make perfect sense that you have to put in the work in order to develop the trust and the credibility to, you know, be holy with respect to running a company. And like you said, you can't be completely pseudonymous from a legal standpoint. Some people need to know who you are, whether it's your lawyers or, you know, whoever. Um, but, you know, from a standpoint of being able to, you know, maintain some level of privacy to the level that it makes sense for you, is important to you. I think that's one of the wonderful things about crypto and NFTs in general, that we can do that. And that there are people who are proving that it can be done legitimately amidst all the uh, you know, crazy uh, heists and scams and run pulls that have taken place. So, you know, I really appreciate you leading with that example. And as far as, you know, likes and dislikes and innovations taking place in the space outside of what you're involved with, is there anything else that you see right now that you uh, feel is worth talking about that you know is really on your mind i think we're um we're going through an interesting period right now in the market where everyone is a bit uh on alert to understand kind of where to preserve their their money and and the cost of sort of living um and and it's being it's rippling through you know not just crypto but tech stocks and you know assets other asset classes real estate um and it's it's a very volatile time. And I think that this time, these types of times are when the next great sort of project company individuals emerge. Um, and so I I almost like feel like we're in a like in a sort of sense of freedom. And I and I this comes with like, you know, the um privilege of having like money to not have to worry as much about kind of, you know how I'm going to eat tomorrow, but like, um, we've, we've all sort of collectively in this space in the crypto space lost a lot. And it's almost kind of like, okay, well that happened. I accept it. Um, now we can focus on things that are not just watching number go up and number go down. And so I feel like in downturns like this is like when someone can really exercise their, their creative muscles the most. Um, and you know, take some risks, make some some big bets on long-term outcomes, and just kind of point towards like what what they think the world will look like. Hopefully, that's a positive you know outlook, um, and build towards it. So uh, yeah, just kind of a, a macro perspective, and I guess a reminder for people to like you know not give up on what they were building before. And 
if the market conditions today prevent that from happening, um, you know, then perhaps what you were building was just a bit too reliant on froth and sort of, you know, inflated <laughs> uh, economics. And uh, perhaps it's time to shift gears and, you know, reassess where you're spending your time. Well said. Okay, so last question, and this is sort of an overarching answer it however you want to. Um, it's a two-parter. What gets you out of bed in the morning and what keeps you up at night? Well, I'm just a floating head, so I don't really have to like physically get out of a bed. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I'm really excited right now to get up every day and work. Um, and I wasn't really before. And it's funny for me to say that because um, I worked in a really fun industry and had a really fun job that was a lot probably easier than most jobs that people work. But fundamentally, I just um, am not wired to work for someone else. Like I have to be making my own stuff and working on my own projects. And so at a high level, um, being an entrepreneur is really exciting to me, even though it's hard to turn off kind of like the the wheels and that that sort of answers the other part of your question is like what keeps you up at night is the separation of like you know your work and your life blurs and it's just like you have to train yourself basically to like put your phone down and just go to f go the f to sleep um because there's always something you can be doing right so um but yeah that that's it's kind of the the, the same answer um so to both parts of your question which is like it's important for us as a, a species, I think, for most of us, to just be making stuff. And it doesn't mean you have to start a company. It just means like creating something that didn't exist before uh, is part of your is part of your life. Whether it's like writing poetry or making music or, you know, messing with a game that somebody else created and building your own levels. Like, we're not meant to be these sort of like repetitive task doers that are just like taking orders and you know, doing them, like we need to be making stuff. So for anyone who, you know, does work for them for, for someone else, and this was me for most of my life, just make sure you're taking time to like create your own stuff because there's so much satisfaction that comes out of that, that empowers the rest of your life, whether it's personal or professional, um, that, that I think a lot of people just kind of like forget about and let life, uh, kind of bump that out of their, their, their day-to-day -day routine. Um, so, you know, after the kids are asleep, after the job, you know, that you get a paycheck for is done. Um, yeah, make, make 15 minutes a day to just to do something that you can, you know, that you can create. Um, and, and I think it'll serve you well. No, that's brilliant advice. And I just, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. It's been wonderful to hear you talk more about all these things that, you know, we're both so passionate about and that so many other people are passionate about as well. So. Thank you so much, Elon. I really appreciated the opportunity to spend some time chatting with Board Elon about BoardBox and all the other fun subjects we covered. Please make your way to BoardBox.io to learn more. An amazing project with an amazing team that is already delivering some amazing rewards. We have another great guest lined up for our next episode. Please don't miss it. You'll be able to find it along with all other episodes wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Thank you for continuing to support Odyssey, art, and innovation. See you soon.